Well, good morning, gentlemen. What a special day God has given us to come together and sing for the glory of God. What a great song we have to start. How great thou art, the fear of God. I want to thank uh, Dr. Felix for the opportunity we have this morning to share together. And I want you to join me in thanking God for him and his ministry at LABTS. Let's thank the Lord for him and for the wonderful job that he's doing. And I'd like to uh, reaffirm the um, ministry of LABTS. And if you have not had a chance to partake of a class, that you would take this opportunity to do so and prepare yourself for ministry. Our churches need great men of God. They need to be led by men that know God's word. Some of our churches are led by our sisters, our women. It's, uh, we don't want that to happen. We want our men to be at the forefront of leading our churches. So they need to be prepared. So LABTS offers you a great opportunity. And you can't beat the price. You can't beat the professors that are teaching them a high quality. So we want to recommend, uh, if you're taking the courses, take them again. If online is a difficulty with you, uh, computers and things like that, Dr. Felix will help you with that. If you don't have a computer, he'll buy you one. And uh, <clears throat> he'll also train you with that. So that is a, yeah, great. You know, I, uh, it was, it was difficult getting here this morning. You know, I come from, uh, Hacienda Heights and I usually come down the 105 and get off on Prairie, except Prairie goes by that stadium. And there's a game today, isn't there? Yeah, tomorrow, tomorrow. And I was, uh, not quite sure whether I should come to LABTS or just park there and wait till tomorrow when the game starts. But uh, we're here. We're here and we, uh, want to thank God. I know for some of you, the masks are really something special for you. You used to wear those before you became Christians. Remember that? No. Yeah, some of us did, yeah. We used to visit banks that way. Remember that? It's got to feel good with relation to that. But uh, no, I enjoy preaching here. Uh, you men are one of the greatest, greatest audiences to preach. Preach to all different kinds of audiences, but this is probably the best audience to preach because you come with a hunger for God. It's like you're ready for God to minister to you and, and uh, the Word of God to impact you. So it makes it really easy to preach. Some audience says it's really tough to preach. People like resist. They fight you. They sit there and etc. But you are, are a different crowd of people, and we, I just thank God for a chance to interact with you, men of God, and to preach God's word. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to this morning to Ecclesiastes 12. Ecclesiastes 12, that'll be our, our opening text. We have been in the depths of COVID, as you know, for the last couple of years. It's been really rough. And um, it, uh, it has gripped the hearts of people. And COVID, COVID fear has paralyzed, paralyzed many segments of our society. Uh, some of our own church people in our churches have been inf infected by COVID fear. It has taken them and has become the greatest fear of their lives. I heard about a man the other day, he finally got a haircut, uh, Dr. Felix, finally got a haircut. After two years, he was so afraid of going to a barber and get, a, and get infected by some barber that he didn't. So when he got this haircut, he wept because finally he was able to get his hair shorn. 
And we look at that and we figure, what in the world is going on with a man like that? The fear of COVID, the fear of getting COVID. Our greatest fear should not be COVID. Our greatest fear should not be even death. Our greatest fear should be the fear of God. And this is what Ecclesiastes, Solomon, as he ends this great book, the book of wisdom, chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Here's what he says. The conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act of judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. The fear of God is our priority. It is our highest calling, God says. When all has been said and done, we then are to fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person, every, every man. That'll be our theme today. We have some great seminars uh, in store, and I, I'm looking forward to some of them. I saw the outlines and some great meat there for us to partake. The greatest, greatest priority is the fear of God. We'd like to emphasize that this morning as we talk about the fear of God. It is our priority. The thing about the word, the expression, the fear of God, is that it's in some ways clear and yet not clear. It is there, it's simple to read, but sometimes hard to comprehend. What does it mean? What is the fear of God? I'd like to devote this opening session to defining, defining the fear of God, giving a simple, basic definition. What does it mean to fear God? We'll look at the God's word and answer the question and define what is the fear of God. For the sake of time and for the sake of just being part of this seminar together, we're looking at three, three ways for us to define the fear of God. First of all, it is the reverence of God. It is the reverence of God. It is having a holy awe of God. When you and I think of the fear of God, it is the reverence of God, the recognition of who he is. I like what it says in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. Would you turn to please, book of Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be looking at quite a few texts this morning from God's word. So let's take our Bibles and keep them handy. In chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews, the writer to Hebrews, I don't know who actually wrote Hebrews, but I know that Dr. Paul Felix knows who wrote Hebrews. And the apostle here, or the writer in Hebrews 10, uh, throughout the book, he closes with exhortations. An exhortation that, that begins to close at chapter 10, verse 26. If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a, of a fire which will consume the adversary. And then you would drop down to verse 30. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a, what fence? Terrifying thing to fall into the hands of of the living God, of the living God. So notice the reiteration of the deep reverence for God because of who he is. Go to chapter 12, Hebrews 12. Again, ending the other exhortation, Hebrews chapter 12. 
Verse 28, therefore, therefore, in light of all that, who he is and what is happening and what will happen, therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we offer to God an acceptable service with what, my friends? With reverence and awe. Again, for our God is a what? Consuming fire. The holy awe of God. Oftentimes, our words are really an expression of our, of our responses. For example, the awe, the awe of God. It's because when you are overwhelmed with something that you see, you're left with your mouth what? Your mouth open. When you look at the glory of God and who he is, you are left speechless. You're left with your mouth what? It's the awe. It's the awe of God. The fear of God is the deep reverence of God of who he is, who he is, looking at his person. I was having my, uh, my quiet time this week, and I came across the uh, section in Joshua, where Joshua has been uh, partitioning the lands and the tribes, and the three tribes on the east side, the three tribes that were left on the east side, and they built an altar, they built an altar, and the tribes on the west side got really upset because they felt that the three tribes on the east side were committing apostasy and abandoning God. And so they rose up as one man in army to go and, and, uh, and, and fight against their brothers who they thought were committing idolatry. And the three, two and a half tribes had to come and they had to explain. And they have a, they express, they, they express this, 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 this statement and they address God, the El, Elohim, Yahweh, God, the Almighty, the Lord, God, the Almighty, the Lord. They were saying, we are not here committing idolatry. We are setting this altar to, to cause us to remember our God and to not forget our God because we're on the east side. And so they, they brought the person of God, the glory of God, the reverence of God, as they say, we reverence God. We ask him to be our witness that we are not here to defile his name or to commit idolatry. His person. No man can see God and live, the Bible says. That's how awesome he is. So when God reveals himself in whatever form, we recognize the awesome nature of God and who he is. His power. His power is overwhelming. We sang the psalm this morning. We look at all that God has made and the awesome power of God. He is called the El Shaddai, the El Shaddai, the Almighty, and all, all that he does. One of, my, uh, one of my favorite national parks to go to is the Grand Canyon. And the first time you go and see the Grand Canyon, you're overwhelmed. You stand on the, uh, on the ledge of the Grand Canyon and you're overwhelmed with the magnitude and the greatness of it. And it is, it is awe. It is awe-inspiring. You see the great power of God, the great power of God displayed. It is my favorite place to visit. I've been there, been down to the bottom three times. I've walked across it all the way across. I've taken a boat ride down the, down the river to get it from the bottom side to the top. It is just awesome. It's never the same. It's always different. It is an awesome place to be. Reflecting the great power of God. To reverence God is to recognize the great holy awe of God. Of who he is. The greatness of our God. And reverence him. 
Reverence means to recognize this great, great person. You'll notice that in chapter 1 of Proverbs, would you turn there please, in the book of Proverbs, then the, in the wisdom literature, in the wisdom literature, a theme that comes again, up again and again and again, is the fear of God. And the writer Solomon, in chapter 1, verse 7, he says, The fear of the Lord is, finish it, the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. He says, it is this, it is this reverence of God that becomes the object and the goal of all instruction, all our wisdom. The quest for knowledge is to end with the fear of God. The whole purpose of our existence and coming to terms with the knowledge of God is for us to come to understand the great reverence of God of who he is and come to understand the great fear of God. A recurring theme then in the wisdom literature. When you look at Job, Job 28, 28, again, Job in, in his book reflects that the whole purpose of wisdom is the fear of God. The writer to, to Proverbs in chapter 9, verse 10, makes the same statement. In chapter 15, verse 33, makes the same statement. In Psalm 111, 10, he makes the same statement. That is the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The whole purpose of our, of our instruction, the whole purpose of reading and knowing and whether we look at the divine book, whether we see the, uh, the handprint of God in nature, whether we look at our conscience and see how God speaks to us, the whole of it is you and I would come to reverence God and recognize who he is. Dr. Charles Bridges in his commentary on Proverbs makes this observation as he defines the fear of the Lord. He says, it is the affectionate reverence by which the child of God binds himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. His wrath is so bitter and his love is so sweet that hence springs an earnest desire to please him. And because of the danger of coming short from his own weakness and temptations, there's a holy watchfulness and fear that he might not sin against God. So the whole quest, the whole quest, and you and I have been here today as we look at God's word, as we go to seminars, the whole quest of wisdom is to come to understand the great reverence that we have to God and developed a deep fear of God, a reverence of who he is. In Ecclesiastes 12, you'll recognize secondly that, that in the reverence of God, it is also the exaltation of who he is because we understand now his nature and his power. The whole purpose of our existence is the exaltation of God. When all has been said and done, it is the fear of God. Now Solomon Solomon has been where you and I will probably never go. He has been where we would probably like to go, to have all the money and all the power to do whatever you'd like to do. And Solomon did that. So the book of, Sol of Ecclesiastes is his commentary on the fact that he did everything that a man could ever do. You name it, he says, I did it. You... If I could buy it, I bought it. If it could be bought, I bought it. If it could be had, I had it. And if, as, he, as he unfolds in this book, unfolds 
It's the whole, the sum of it is this. Fear God. That's the sum of it. What I found in my quest is to fear God. Go to chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes. Priority is always the fear of God. In chapter 2, as he sums up his, his experience in life, both uh, mental and, uh, and emotional and physical, he says in verse 24 of chapter 2, But there's nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. And this I have also seen that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? What's the answer? Nobody. Nobody. You cannot be happy without God. You cannot be happy without God. God is everything. God is the fullness of life. And so it is the fear of God then reverencing him that we understand that God is everything in chapter 5. And chapter 5 reminds us again that the whole worship of God is in essence to fear God. In chapter 5 reminding us of that. And so in also in chapter 7, in chapter 7 of the book of Ecclesiastes, reminding us that the whole end of discernment is again the fear of God. And then in chapter 8, in verses 11 through 11 and 12, reminding us that our behavior is all for the glory of God and the fear of God. Everything is to exalt God. There's nothing, nothing that we do that doesn't end up in this exalting God. The fear of God is to raise God to the ultimate position in life. He is everything. He is everything. To reverence Him. To put Him on this throne before us. And He is everything. I like what the Apostle Paul, as he ends, go to Romans 11. Romans 11, it ends one of the most difficult and yet glorious sections in Scripture. Romans 11, uh, 9, 10, and 11. And he ends with this marvelous doxology in verse 33, Romans 11. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him? For from him and through him, and to him are all things. To him be the what? For what? Forever. Forever. Paul says this is the goal of everything that we then would recognize and reverence God for who he is. The fear of the Lord, Solomon says, is to exalt God, to recognize his awesome nature, to reverence him. To place him in the position that is his and only his. That is what it means to fear God. Now Ecclesiastes 12, you'll notice if you turn back to that section. Conclusion when all has been said is this. Fear God and keep his commandments. Keep his commandments. The obedience of God. The fear of the Lord is not only to reverence him but is also to obey him, to obey him, obedience. We equate the fear of the Lord with the obedience of God. The fear of the Lord means to obey him and all that he says and all that he does. Uh, gentlemen, let me show you. Are you anybody here married and happy? Some put your hands down. Yeah. 
Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5, Paul ends the section on marriage. Ephesians chapter 5 ends the section on marriage, and he uses a very interesting word here. Nevertheless, verse 33, nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she, what, respects her husband. Dr. Felix is a professor of Greek. The word for respect there is the word what? Phabas. Phabas, which is the word fear. So say, honey, I learned something here this morning from God's word. That you are to fear me. <laughs> that is to give the husband the rightful place. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Other places, wives, obey your husbands. Obedience. And so Paul simply says, this is the, the result of recognizing the position of your husband is for you to submit to him and be obedient to him. And God says for us as well, we... As we think about the fear of God, understand that we are then to obey him, obedience. All of a sudden now the fear of God becomes, as, as we clarify what it means, now we see the tension in our lives, the issue of obedience and who he is. It means that we then are to submit to the will of God. It begins by understanding his will. That's why we're here. How can we obey if we don't know what he wants us to do? How can we obey when we don't, we don't know what he, what he wants us to do? You know, I had a father. My father was a, just a great, great dad. Well, he didn't always explain what he wanted me to do. You ever have a dad like that? He would say, son, go so and bring me, bring, me some, bring me that thing. And he would tell me that. Go and bring me that thing. And I would go because I was, I was just deathly afraid of him. So I would go. And then I would say, what thing? What is he asking for? And that would take like forever. And then we'd come back and say, Dad, I didn't find it. What do you didn't find? And I was lying because I didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> and he never explained what he wanted from me. And God is not like that. God has made his will clear. It's up for us, it's up for us to understand what it is. And so we understand that it's the revealed will of God. We have to begin to obey it. His commandments are... The will of God. Paul says in Romans 7, I would not have known about lusting if God had not said, thou shalt not lust. And the word of God becomes, becomes the will of God. For all scripture is inspired of God and profitable for teaching, for instruction, for the training in righteousness. The man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Our Lord Jesus Christ said, my meat is to do the will of my father. My meat is to do the will of my Father. That is my food. That is my purpose. And we as God's men, men of God, then we are here to understand. We, our purpose is to understand the will of God that we can then adequately and properly obey it. Obedience. Obedience is what it means for us to fear, fear God. And so that's why it says to keep his commandments because this applies to every every person submission of a total man 
when we think about the fear of God, it means that you and I should be in submission, totally submitted to the entire will of God. Let me take you to a, a interesting passage, Jonah chapter 1. Would you turn to the book of Jonah? Jonah. Book of Jonah. And most of us are acquainted with the book of Jonah. Some of us, for us, he's our model. We imitate him. God says go, and we say what? No, we say no. God says go east, and we go, we go west. And so Jonah was this kind of man. God said go to Nineveh, and he went the opposite direction. Verse 3, Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Went on to Joppa, got the first ship out of there, and moved in the direction of Tarsus. And you know, in verse 4, the, the Lord hurled a great wind of sea, and there was a great storm on the sea. The ship was about to break up, and the sailors became afraid. Every man cried to his God. They threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it. And Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, lain down, and fallen how? Fast asleep. He was a man, he was a man fleeing from God, and yet fast asleep. His conscience was in no way bothering him, that he was fleeing from the presence of God. The captain approached him and said, how is it that you are sleeping? Get up and call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, come, let's cast lots. Let's see who it is that's the problem here. And the lot fell on Jonah. They found him out in their own pagan way. Tell us then, verse 8, tell us on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And for what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and finish it. What an oxymoron, isn't it? What an oxymoron. I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. In other words, I, I worship God and I obey him. And I obey him. Is he doing that? No, he's doing the opposite. He's doing the opposite. Here's a, here's a prophet of God, prophet of God who, knowing who God is, the maker of all things, that he should be revered and should be obeyed here, he makes a statement to these pagans concerning the fact that he is living in disobedience to God. And they found him out. They found out why he was running, why he was doing what he was doing. And they realized that the only way that they could ever, ever escape this torment was to cast this disobedient prophet into the ocean and let him be drowned in the sea. And they found, they were looked to some way not to do it. But having no other recourse, they finally threw him in. And it says that the sea became exceedingly calm and, uh, and it stopped. Look at verse 16 and notice the impact upon these pagans. Then, the men feared the Lord God greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made their vows. A conversion experience from a disobedient prophet. God can cause all things to work together for, for his glory. And uh, the disobedient prophet brought about a change in these men's life, and they became 
those that feared God, that worshipped him, that reverenced him, and that offered worship to him. And here Jonah, here Jonah, a man who was in disobedience. Now, was God done with Jonah? Was God done with Jonah? What did, Jonah, what did God do to Jonah? Talk to me now. Uh, see, God has ways of getting our attention, doesn't he? Prepared a great fish. One of a kind. One of a kind. You don't need to find, well, what, what was it? It's one of a kind. God can make one of a kind. Big enough to swallow your carcass. And take it and spit it. He took it and spit it. Got him a one-way ticket back. Back to Nineveh. He taken a one-way one, one ticket to Tarshish. He got a one-way ticket back. Special delivery. Yeah, UPS. And so here was, again, the whole idea of the total submission of the total man. So we can be like Jonah. We can be like Jonah. We can cruise through life and think we are fearing God or living in some aspect of disobedience. Running from the will of God. We don't ever want to do that. When God has his expressed will has made clear to us and known to us, we want to make sure that we are not running from the expressed will of God. And we always need to be checking our lives in regards to that. And make sure, because that can happen to us. We, we can be running from the will of God. We can be acting in disobedience. And we can we can make a we can sleep at night sound asleep. With no conviction, no conscience, none of that. Be just like Jonah. In the middle of a storm, your house is in shambles. Your children in rebellion. Your wife in turmoil. Your house about to sink in. And you, in front of a television set, laughing, enjoying a ball game as if there is no problem on your side. And yet, you are the cause. You're the reason for it. Because we're living in disobedience to God. And it means for us to stop and examine our lives. This morning, this day would be a great opportunity for us to do that. Ask the Lord, as the psalmist did, Lord, seek, search me and see if there be any wicked way in me. And allow me to turn. Because I want to be in total submission. Total submission in all respects to everything that you have to say to me. That is what it means to fear Fear God, the fear the Lord. Psalm 112, let me take you to Psalm 112. There is a blessing. God gives a blessing to the man that fears the Lord. And it'd be good for us to take this promise to heart on this particular Lord's special day that God has given us. Psalm 112, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. How blessed is the man, finish it. Who fears the Lord. Under, underscore that. Note that. What a motivation for us today to take a step in that direction. Of total submission to the will of God. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Who greatly delights in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house. And his righteousness endures forever. Light arises in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious and compassionate and righteous. It is well with a man who is gracious and lends. He'll maintain his cause in judgment 
He'll never be shaken. The righteous will be remembered for how long? Forever. There's a blessing, gentlemen, for you and I to submit to God and to live in total submission to the will of God brings with it a high degree of blessing. That's the battle we have as, as men. Do I submit completely to God or not? Do I fear God 100% and are obedient to Him or not? And so our obedience, our obedience comes in direct relationship to God's revealed word. It is the total submission of the total man to the will of God in every aspect of our lives. It is to ultimately express the holiness of God. We're all acquainted with Moses, our dear friend Moses, who spent, uh, spent his years in 40 years in the backside of the desert there. And then finally was approached by God out of a burning bush. Remember that? The burning bush. And Moses turned aside to look at the bush. And there the glory of God appeared to Moses. And God spoke to Moses. And he said to him, Moses, take your shoes off. Because the ground upon which you stand is what? Is holy ground. Did Moses obey him? Absolutely. And it is a... It is Stephen's interpretation of that. It is not found in the book of Exodus. In the book of Acts, Stephen interprets by saying, when Moses saw the glory of God and heard the voice of God, he was overwhelmed with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. To look at the great holiness of God and the greatness of God. And then for Moses to in all humility submit to God. And there take off his shoes in recognition of the fact that God is, God is so great, and God is commanding us, so we must obey Him and submit in absolute holiness to God. We then, our obedience to God is going to result in a holy life, in a holy life. It is the book of Leviticus that emphasizes the whole purpose of the law is to be holy because what? God is holy. And Peter repeats that to the people of God in 1 Peter. You shall be holy because what? I am holy. And obedience should always result in a holy God. In a holy God. To reverence God means that first of all then to reverence Him. To, re to fear God means also to obey Him. And now gentlemen, let me add a third. To fear God is to love God. Is to love God. Let me take you to Deuteronomy chapter 6 please. Chapter 6 of Deuteronomy. Now our Lord was asked, our Lord was asked, which is the great commandment in the law? And he reiterated the, what was said in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. But let's read this opening section. I think it's very, very instructive in our text today. Chapter 6, verse 1 of Deuteronomy. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments, which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it. So that you may, you and your son and your grandson, might, what? Fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I'm commanding you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should be listen and be careful to do it, that it might be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, 
The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. I, I, I bring this text to you because you see, Moses equates the fear of the Lord with the love of God. He said in verse 2, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God and keep his commandments, reverence him, obey him. And then he says, this is expressed in the great love of God, to love the Lord your God, to love the Lord your God, to, to fear the Lord is to love him. The fear, the fear of the Lord is to love him. And here Moses brings to the attention of God's people. You shall love the Lord your God, to love him. And it, this implies a warm affection, a warm affection that every one of us should have for God, the only true God. Shemai Chrael, the only true God, hero Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. He is our Lord. And to love him, to love him. And it includes, my dear brothers, every aspect of our humanity. To love the Lord your God, and here he says, to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And the New Testament adds another quality, with all your mind. Four aspects. The total man involved in the great love of God. The love of God. Now, love is a love is not a very popular thing in our in our in our circles. You know, we are not a loving people, and many of us men are not loving men. And when it comes to loving God, that is not something we even think about—to love God. And yet, this is what it implies for us to fear the Lord means to love God, to love the Lord. He says to love Him in these four parts: to love Him with all your heart. Your heart is the mission control station of your life. It is your spiritual part of your life. It is that part that relates to God primarily. To love him with everything in your life. He is to have no other God. There should be no other God. No one else on the throne. Jesus reminded us you, you cannot love God in anything else. You cannot love God in mammon. There can be no there can be no battle for first place in your heart. It has to be God and no one else. It has to be God supremely and nothing else and no one else. Nothing can take the place of God. To love God absolutely. And there should be no question about us. God should be our first love and there should be not even close second to that. And so this is where he says we come to God and we love him with our entire being. You love him with all your soul, all your soul. This involves the emotions. The soulish part of the man is the emotional part of man. To worship God is not a cold attitude, not a cold activity. It is not emotionless. It's not like that, not like that husband that his wife, uh, on their 40th anniversary, she said to him, you know, honey, you told me you loved me when we got married, and you haven't told me that Ever. It's been 40 years and you haven't said you love me. He said to her, I told you I loved you 40 years ago. And if I change my mind, I'll let you know. 
That is not us, people. That is not us. There should be a warmth when it comes to God. There should, there should be a blushing when it comes to God. Our emotions should be involved in the love of God. It should be. It should be. One of the reasons why I love to come here to, is because when we sing here, we sing with gusto. Yeah. Yeah. And then you go to your churches and then you don't do that. Or you don't sing at all. Talk to me now, hypocrite. Talk to me. Huh? Well, yeah, yeah. This, we should let your emotions express themselves in your love for God. He said, love him with all your mind. That is your intellect. Intellect. Some of us get so smart that it means we no longer love God. We'd start questioning God. You go to some little junior college and you think you know it all. You, you take one class at LEBTS and now you think you know more than the professor knows. Yeah. But Dr. Augustine, you don't know what you're talking about. And all of a sudden our minds, our minds should be captivated by Christ. The whole purpose is to worship God with our mind. The focus, take every thought captive for Christ's sake. The more you know, the more you should love God. The more you know of all creation, of all the sciences, whatever they are, whatever they are, should draw you to love God even more. To love God even more. <laughs> Dr. Felix, there was some joker in a, some guy in a liberal seminary, liberal seminary, some fundamentalist in a liberal seminary in the back, and the professor was there giving an explanation of the, of the crossing of the Red Sea by Moses and the people of God. And, uh, and he was trying to explain that it wasn't the way it was, that there was only like three feet of water, and that's why they crossed, because there was only three feet of water. And he went through a long discussion on how there was only three feet of water and gave all the documentation and all the explanations and all the stuff. And then from the back of the class, some guy yelled out, Hallelujah! Praise God! And it was as fundamentalist. Hallelujah! Praise God! Glory to God! And the professor said, Hey, hey, what? What are you talking about? He says, yeah, imagine God drowned all those Egyptians in three feet of water. Man, what a praise God. Talk to me now, see? You take your mind and worship God. And with all your strength, your body involved in worshiping God. God should have your frame. God should have your body. We as men are giving our bodies to a lot of other stuff. But the main, the main person, the main man is God. To love him with all your might. All your might. One of our brothers said, you know, Montoya, I'm getting a little bit old for this kind of stuff. He's only 55 years old. <laughs> 55, you're in your prime. You know, 55, you should be running marathons. 55, you should make a goal to climb Mount Whitney. 
And then Everest after that. You follow me? Look at me, I'm only 53 years old. I just look old, I've been treated rough. <laughs> Give it all to God, amen? Serve God with all that you have. It's the great love of God. To love him with all that you have. To love, to fear God is to love him. To love him. And we know we love him because he first loved us. He first loved us. He's been so good to us. So good to us. We love him in return. He has been more than, more than gracious to us. More than good to us. That's why it was the Apostle John that says, We love him because he, he first loved us. To love God unashamedly, unashamedly to love, to love God. Let me take you to a story. Luke chapter 7. We'll close with the story this morning. Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7, there's an account given. Luke chapter 7, please, in verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees, one of the Pharisees was requesting him, that is, Jesus, to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. There was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. Now, you know the story. The story goes on that the Pharisee says, whoa, whoa, whoa. If this man knew who this woman was, he wouldn't be putting up with this. He wouldn't put it up with this. And then Jesus told the account. And the end result was this. He that is forgiven little loves, or he that is forgiven much, what? Loves much. And this little woman becomes for us an example of how to love Christ. Because she loves him. With all of her heart, she was a harlot. She's a prostitute. But she brought the treasure of her life, her perfume, and broke it and gave it to Jesus. Now he became the lover of her life. She read in her mind, that he is everything. He's the savior of her soul. Her emotions were wrapped up with it. She was weeping. Her tears were being shed. She was even kissing his feet. And wiping the tears and the wetness with her hair. She loved him. And her whole body was involved in expressing her deep love for the Savior. Her hands, her hair, her lips, everything. Because she had been forgiven much. Have we been forgiven much? Let's learn from this lady to love him much. Our Father, thank you so much. Lord Jesus, for all your great love for us. You've changed our lives. 
You've made us new men. You've given us new purpose. Thank you for teaching us what it means to truly fear you, reverence you, obey you, and to love you with all that we have. Help us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.